The peace of Christ be with you. Give yourselves about three deep breaths to be drawn into the presence of the Spirit and held by this house of prayer. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Please rise and body your spirit for the call to worship. You are the call to freedom in every moment. You are the desire for freedom for every people. You are the strength to endure suffering and struggle. You are the will to reduce suffering and wrongdoing. Come be among us, O God, and empty us of worry. Come be among us.
may be seated. Good morning. We're delighted to see you gathered here this morning for worship. We'd also like to make certain that you're aware that you can come have a cup of coffee or tea on the terrace that's just off the narthex there, and we can say hello a little more personally than this. But you are welcome, and we'd be delighted to say hello and get to know you a little better if you're new or just visiting. And if you're one of the many friends in here, let's say hello to one another with support and delight. Will you please pray with me as we read aloud the community prayer that is printed there in your bulletin? Dear God, we are sometimes so focused on the next challenge that we forget to pause in gratitude for the blessings of the moment. Heighten our awareness of the present day, O God. We can be continue to pray in silence. God, we know that you are right here with us. Help us dedicate ourselves to your service, to invite the Holy Spirit into our hearts and experience that reassurance that we can release our worries and concern and be confident of the guidance we receive in prayer. Amen. I'm going to invite the children to join me up here in just a second. But before I do, I'm excited to see everyone here today. But there are actually two people here today I am especially excited to see. And that is Peter and Marilyn Wirtz sitting in the back. to have you back with us. For those of you who may not know Peter and Marilyn, Peter has been undergoing treatment for cancer, and they've been away for a long time, and they're back with us today, and it's just so good to have you with us worshiping, and welcome back. It's good to see you. And now I would like all the children worshiping with us to join me here at the front. I also invite the Bush family to come forward, and also Elder Lisa Dini. All right. We're going to sit right here. Yeah, have a seat. That's good. That's good. All right. Welcome. It's good to see you all. So today is a very special day. And yeah, let's sit so we can see what's happening over here, too. Because you may recognize some of those folks standing over there. Many of you go to Sunday school. Many of you go to Sunday school with Anna and Owen, and that's their brother, Jonathan. And today they're going to be baptized. Isn't that exciting? So in this church, baptism means that we're welcoming them into the church family. And because they're really closest in age to you guys, you all have a special role in welcoming them into the church family. So in just a little bit, you actually will have a special part in the baptism. So I will be back for your special part in just a moment. So we remember that baptism is the sacrament through which we are united to Jesus Christ and given part in Christ's ministry of reconciliation. Baptism is the visible sign of an invisible event, showing the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on God's beloved children. In baptism, God works in us the power of forgiveness, the renewal of the Spirit, and the knowledge of the call to be God's people always. Amanda and Frank, as parents, uh, a question for you, a series of questions, rather. Do you profess your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do you renounce evil, affirming your reliance on God's grace? Do you, your, do you declare your intention to participate actively and responsibly in the worship and mission of the church and your intention to provide for the Christian nurture of Jonathan, Owen, and Anna? If so, please say, we do. 
Lisa. Please join me in the Congregational Covenant printed in your bulletin. With joy and thanksgiving, we welcome John, Owen, and Anne into the Christ Church. Because we All right, y'all, this is your part, okay? So I invite you to repeat after me. We're going to make some promises to these guys over here. So Jonathan, Owen, and Anna, you are our new siblings in Jesus Christ. You are our new siblings in Jesus Christ. We promise to help you. We promise to help you to know God's love. And grow up to be caring and helpful. Grow up to be caring and helpful. All right, and we are all invited to sing together. Gracious God, pour out your spirit on this water, that in its blessing it might become living water, the same water that flows in the Jordan and flows through every font and every gathering of the people of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, what's happening? You like my microphone, don't you? (laughs) So what is his given name? Jonathan Michael, I baptize you in the name of the Father. I baptize you in the name of the Son and in the name of the Spirit. That is to say, in the name of God, our Creator, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, the Holy Spirit, our Sustainer. (laughs) The Spirit be upon you, Jonathan, child of God, disciple of Christ. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. And what is his full name? Owen Albert. Here, let's come over here. Oh, you don't have to hide behind me. <laughs> I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit that is the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sustainer. You have been marked by Christ and sealed as one of God's own. And what is your full name? Anna Catherine. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Spirit. That is to say, in the name of God, our Creator, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, the Holy Spirit, our Sustainer. The Spirit be upon you, Anna, child of God, disciple of Christ. Amen. We got to introduce you guys. Take a look. So this is Jonathan. You probably know him not quite as well as his siblings because he's a little young yet, but he'll be in Sunday school with you all soon. Your new brother and brother and sister in Jesus Christ. Welcome. All right, you go that way. I'll go this way. You say. You want to say hi to Jonathan? Your new brother in Christ. Yeah. Look, that's the choir. Maybe you'll sing with them one day. Huh? You're still wet. There you go. This is Jonathan, your new brother in Christ. Hey, Jonathan. Look at all these people ready to help you learn about God. 
and how much God loves you. This baptismal creed we have is the Apostles' Creed, and we recite it at all baptisms, connecting us to the faith of all times and places. It may be found on page 35 of your hymnals. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, So we have a few things for you. First, we have baptismal candles, and you're invited to light them on the anniversary of your baptism every year to remember this special day. And then in addition, our baptismal certificates for you all. I don't know if you noticed, but Owen went back for more while you were doing the creed. And um, the font is always open, so feel free. You too can always touch these living waters. Let us pray. Gracious one, blessing one, mysterious one, in the waters of this baptism, imprint your all-loving, indelible touch on the lives of these children and on the lives of all your children. Surround them with your love through this community, not just now, but in all their days to come. Give them eyes to see you, feet to walk in your way, hands to reach out, and hearts to blossom. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right, y'all, we are going to head out to Sunday school, okay? I'm going to go with you. Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the love of God surround you. Before we go into our prayer time, we have, since we're not doing joys and concerns the way we typically do today, a special joy to share with you today from our stewardship chair, Bill. So it's always tough when we get slotted in after baptism, right? Um, Tough act to follow. So I just want to give a quick update on the stewardship campaign. And I guess, first of all, we've ended the public phase of it. So the speakers and the signs in the narthex and all those things, you'll see those go away, so it'll be noticeably uh, less visible, um, but we've completed that part of it, and I want to thank everyone for their attention during that phase over the last month. Um, I'm also here to report some really good news on where we've gotten so far. So three important points. One, um, we're significantly ahead of last year on timing. So at this time last year, we had raised about 320,000 in pledges from 89 pledgers. I'm proud to say that this year so far we've received 456,000 in pledges from 115 pledges, so that's up 43%, um, which is awesome. Uh, And that's a timing issue in terms of people getting their pledges in earlier, so thank you for those who have come in. Two new pledges are coming in. We've received seven new or returning pledgers uh, into the ranks. And so a special thank you to new pledgers. It's really important, you know, that we grow our support base over time. And then third, and maybe the most important of all, is that we're tracking at a pace of about 9% growth in the whole campaign. What I mean by that is I, I said that we had 115 pledges, 456,000 uh, for 2020. Um, at this time last year, uh, or excuse me, uh, from, from last year, those same pledgers um, pledged 420,000. So that's from 420 up to 456. So a 9% increase. 
If we're able to hold that with the rest of the campaign, we should be able to meet our goal of 750,000. So um, there's great momentum, I think, in the, in the campaign this year, and, and we're really grateful for everyone um, who've come in. Um, the target date was October 6, which is obviously passed, but we are still collecting pledges. And so I mentioned the, the, the public phase is over, but now we begin the dreaded private phase. <laughs> yes, that means we're going to have to reach out to some of you folks and calls and sweet letters and all those sorts of things. I can assure you that our interest in chasing you down is equally as low as your interest in hearing from us. <laughs> so um, if you could get, your, uh, if you could get your, uh, your pledge in, that would be great. Um, we, seriously, we, we do need to hear from everyone, so if you can sharpen your pencil over the next week and, and get that in, it only takes a few minutes. And remember, this is a pledge for 2020, so you're pledging today, not necessarily paying today. Um, and um, and reminder, you know, there's, there's a few different ways to pledge, including these fancy cards that are in the pews, so you could literally fill it out today and drop it in the box in the narthex if you want. Um, and, uh, and remember that all pledges are welcome, and please give according to your means. But thanks, everyone, for the momentum in the campaign this year. Appreciate it. We come to the point in the service where we go into prayer together, and today we're going to use what's known as the bidding prayer. You've done this before, many of you. And that's where we speak the earnest concerns of our hearts into the air as I bring up topics that are possibly of concern to you. The one thing we need to remember always, of course, God hears the prayers of our hearts, not the words of our mouths so much as the inner swell as we give these over. So please don't worry if you're talking the same time your neighbor is talking. Sure, you're praying together, and this is the point of what it is that we're doing here this morning. So let us pray together. Dear God, we pray for those grieving the loss of loved ones. Pray for those who are ill and in pain. We pray for those who are anticipating or recovering from surgery. Pray for the elderly, navigating the challenges of agings, and for their families who are involved with their care. We experience we pray for those who are experiencing housing insecurity and economic hardship, that they might find safe shelter and stability. We pray for the places in our world that are torn by hatred and violence. We pray especially that the families that have been uprooted and rendered homeless might find peace and serenity. Dear God, these cries of our hearts help us recognize your presence in our midst. May we find ways to offer a helping hand, a peaceful presence, a welcome word of support, that might make a difference to those feeling unwelcome or rejected. Let us become agents of your peace as we can, as we pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power. Amen.
Today's scripture reading is Psalm 66, verses 1 to 12. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to us. Make a joyful noise to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of her name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Because of your great power, your enemies cringe before you. All the earth worships you. They sing praises to you. Sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. God is awesome in God's deeds among mortals. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There we rejoiced her, who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let the rebellious not exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept us among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have have brought us out to a spacious, spacious place. The second reading comes also from the Older Testament, the prophet Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, verses 1 and 4 to 7. Listen for what the Spirit is continuing to say to us. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Friends, this is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Is life primarily about learning to find joy, if not happiness, and peace in the midst of chaos or unfairness or suffering? Or is it primarily about avoiding those circumstances or working to change them so others may avoid them? It's a fundamental question, is it not? It was posed to us in a form in a graduate course I took in ethics at one point, and it was not as much about societal justice or suffering as it was about sort of personal vocation. And he was, the professor was sort of asking us, what were we Uh, looking for something that really fit us or trying to cultivate uh, who we were that we could do kind of anything. And he was rather surprised that almost the entire group, including uh, me, said that it shouldn't matter what one does in life, that one should try to get to the place where you could find happiness or peace doing anything. And he was, as I said earlier, rather surprised to hear that. I'll never forget it. He kind of looked at us puzzled and said, wouldn't you rather just find somewhere where you can dance? His point was not to wrap up all of one's identity in their work, recognizing not everybody has a full range of choice there, but rather insofar as one could choose, he started to argue, shouldn't one choose a setting where one doesn't have to try so hard to find joy or peace? Find a place where your natural gifts are expressed, something that wants to come out of you, gets to come out of you. Look, the world will bring you enough suffering. Don't go looking for it. Both 
sides of that question have merit. I mean, you can ask who's right, but you can pretty quickly come to the conclusion that each has an understandable perspective. On the one hand, uh, I hate to break it to you, but no matter how well you do, how much success you experience, how much you earn and achieve and accumulate, you will never escape suffering. Even if it's in the form of simple unpleasantness, you're always going to have some. Be very wary of anyone who promises you a path to escape all of that. And don't buy what they're selling, because it will let you down. You will experience it in your life. It's what it, part of what it means to be alive. And as Viktor Frankl famously said, all of our freedoms can be taken from us. All of them, except one. And that is the freedom to choose the attitude you bring to whatever circumstance you are in. You always get to choose that, no matter how much you've lost. Frankl would know something about what it's like to lose everything. He survived Auschwitz in three other Nazi camps. All of us will have that same choice, hopefully not facing that same awful, unbelievable reality. But when faced with a circumstance we wouldn't choose, we are given the choice about how to show up to that circumstance. And that can't be taken from us. And that's a skill worth cultivating. At the same time, isn't there a need to sometimes question and challenge the very cause of the circumstances that create unfairness and suffering and chaos, to lean against those forces and perhaps even overturn them? Some would say that's also a choice, even an obligation. Perhaps you've heard this uh, parable about a village that sits aside a river. And one day a woman is out, and to her horror, she looks out in the water and sees a baby floating downstream, and it's still alive, so she rushes out into the water and she rescues the baby and brings it to safety. But no sooner than she gets to dry land that she looks out, she sees another, and she rushes out, and another, and another. And before long, the entire village is down, and it's all they can do to keep up with the flow of babies coming downstream until someone suggests that they go upstream and figure out what's going on and try to stop the problem before it starts. Is there famine? Let's bring food. Is there warfare? Maybe we can help make peace. But to stop the killing before it happens. Both these streams flow right through our sacred readings for today. You heard in Jeremiah this gorgeous passage, I mean, almost poetic instruction about what to do in the midst of a situation no one would choose. The people have been taken captive, sent into exile against their will. They're essentially slaves, certainly refugees. And God says this is going to go on for a while. Freedom isn't coming yet. And so what to do? Build houses, have a family, plant a garden, take care of your people, make sure you don't decrease so that your people survive, but don't simply be a blessing to your own. Be a blessing to the very land into which you've been sent that you did not choose. Hostile territory, you might say. The garden isn't simply for your own enjoyment, it's for the enjoyment of others, which is both a survival technique and perhaps an expression of grace because what is said to the people, seek the welfare of that city because its welfare is also your welfare. Don't just make the best of a bad situation, make a garden of a bad situation. In the lingua franco, you can't choose your circumstance, but you can choose your attitude about your circumstance. And then we hear in the Psalms this rather different 
text. It's a celebration text precisely about a God who changed a people's circumstances. These people were also slaves. And the song uh, celebrates and recounts their liberation from Egypt, their exodus, their pathway to freedom, which says to us it is righteous to cry out for God to change how things are when things are not how they ought to be. And you might say, well, is God the only one who can change things and our job is simply to plant gardens? Well, hardly. I mean, if you take a tour of Scripture, you'll find all kinds of passages which implore people to change the conditions either for themselves or for those around them. That this too is a part of faith. Remember that passage in Isaiah where the prophet is critiquing people's religious practices and all their rituals and surely not their outfits, but everything else as sort of hollow piety. And at one point they go on about fasting and Isaiah says, is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to let the oppressed go free. That's what it means to be a religious adherent, not to wear this stuff and do this stuff and have this stuff, but to do that, to liberate, set free, to serve. That's religious observance, maybe more than the other. So these both become part of the call of faith. Jesus, too, did this all the time. Changed the circumstances for people, healing them, restoring them to the community, breaking down those things that separated them. And it wasn't just an interpersonal ministry. We like to reduce it to that because then we can contain it and control it and compartmentalize it and say it's just about being sweet to one another. Jesus did plenty of that, but he wasn't killed for that. He was not killed for healing a blind person. He was killed because he dared to ask questions and in doing so make statements about the religious powers of his day and the political powers of his day. He was a threat to that because he dared go upstream and they threw him in the river for it, so to speak. Another example, this time from today, which also has some of these themes and actually raises many more questions as well. Some of you have probably followed uh, the news uh, about the killing of Botham Jean. That rings a bell to you. It's an example of, quite frankly, I've been avoiding because it's so difficult. If you don't know, uh, Jean uh, was in his apartment in Texas one night when Amber Geiger broke in, saw him, and shot and killed him. Uh, Geiger thought, so she says, she was entering her own apartment, and therefore thought, by extension, that this was an intruder. John was a black man, Geiger is a white woman, and a police officer. All the fault lines come right to the surface in about two sentences of description. All these fault lines in our society became a case that really touched many nerves for people. If you followed that story, you will know there was a rather extraordinary scene that took place in Geiger sentences, sentencing. She was convicted of murder, sentenced to 10 years, I believe, in prison. And at the sentencing, Botham's brother, Brant, spoke. And he forgave her. And then, clearly seeing some kind of distress in Geiger, he asked the judge for permission permission to come down and give her a hug. Now, what's so difficult about that? I mean, if that's not a a ready-made sermon illustration, what is, right? This extraordinary moment of forgiveness. What's so complicated about that? Well, I started as I got interested in the case, to just read and read more commentary about it. And I began to encounter a lot of African-American voices responding to the way the media lifted up that scene as so exemplary. And they weren't having it. Because they'd grown weary of this narrative that to be black 
is about learning to be violated and then being forgiving about those and to those who violate you. And they were tired of that being the only story told. What about the story of systemic racism? What about the story of prejudice? What they were saying to us or to whomever in so many words are enough of that story. Remember to tell the story about our obligation to go upstream and stop the killing. Stop the occasion for all the forgiving to happen. And then it got even more complicated because as I read on, other voices from within the African-American community, because why should they have to speak with one voice? Nobody else does. Diversity there too. Some saying, well, wait a minute. You're talking about stripping somebody of, of power agency. Who are you to tell him who he can forgive? Isn't that the ultimate act of empowerment? To say, I will look at my violator in the face and say, I forgive you because I'm that strong and that gracious. Who are you? Oof. And then still other voices chimed in and say, wait a minute. Fine for Brant to forgive on behalf of himself. But his brother's dead. He wasn't even given the choice whether to forgive or not. Do you see how complicated this can be pretty quickly and how easy it is to just jump on uh, one shallow understanding? Now, none of that excuses us from our moral obligation. We still have to wade into the stream as difficult as it is to do so. So what do we do? Do we simply... Oh, and I, a piece I forgot. I forgot it at the 830 service. Complicated even more. It came out. Geiger had sent all these racist texts just days before she killed him. Does it mean it wasn't an honest mistake? Does it color, no pun intended, the mistake? It's just all so rich and impoverished. What do you do? Plant gardens? Make the best of a terrible situation, seek justice, change the way things are to stop the business of making victims. Yes. I mean, of course, the answer is yes. You knew that before I even started. You have to do both. You have to do both. This, this extraordinary act of forgiveness was is really interesting if you think about it too because at first it seems like it's clearly in the camp of planting gardens. You make the best of an unspeakable situation and you offer an unimaginable forgiveness. It releases some of the tension out of what could have become a really volatile and increasingly violent situation where more people are hurt. It just lets all that out. You know, there's another way to look at that forgiveness, too, especially if it is given voluntarily and not coerced. If you believe in the transformative power of forgiveness, then when forgiveness is voluntarily given, it has the capacity to change things, change bigger things, not just individuals. I have to confess, I didn't want to see the hug. I'd done so much reading that I really didn't have it in me to watch this person who acknowledged that she killed somebody be hugged and held in compassion by the victim's brother, then to also be held in compassion, literally physically hugged by the judge. Because I wonder how many, how many African-American killers get hugged by their judges. I don't know that answer, but you, I wonder. I didn't want to see it. Maybe my own limitations there. And then I saw it. And it's undeniable how powerful it was, at least to me, and I acknowledge where I stand. He comes down off the stand and holds out his arms, and Geiger collapses in them, shaking and sobbing. I'm not yet so cynical that I can't believe that too can have an impact beyond those two people, that other people can see that and say we're capable of something better. And so, yes, plant gardens because they can feed people and inspire people. And, yes, recognize that things have to change on a deep and widespread level. A number of us 
with the outreach uh, commission are reading the, uh, the book by Michelle Alexander, The New Jim Crow. Maybe some of you have read it. It's a powerful book, not an easy book, not a comfortable book. But it points out what many of us know, the well-documented nature of bias and racial, racial prejudice in our system. You know, different people really do receive different treatment. I assume that group will be offering some study opportunities and discussion opportunities in that book, and I hope you, av you avail yourself of it because it's important work to do, but it recognizes that we have that obligation to go upstream and to stop the killing in the first place. Just gardens? Or just this? It's got to be both. It's got to be both. And there are invitations in this for each of us and for us collectively. And the first is, as individuals, to recognize where we lean and where we could grow. Because I, I guess many of us probably lean one way or the other. We'd rather just plant gardens and kind of keep our heads down and make the best of something that's not pleasant. And others of us would rather get out there and fight to change things and, and bring justice where we see that it's lacking. And I think the invitation is for all of us to become a little bit spiritually ambidextrous. When I'm working with my son to learn how to play soccer, I say, if you really want an advantage over other people, you learn to use both feet. Because most people can only use one for uh, a lot of the time. And we have to be kind of the same. To learn to stretch yourself into that area that may be a little more comfortable. The second invitation is for us as a group because it recognizes that any one of us won't be able to do both all that well. We won't be perfect with both feet. And that's the gift of a community, not because we agree, but precisely because we see things differently. So we need those people who will speak up and say, you know, with all the brooding and the hand-wringing and the fist-shaking and the finger-pointing, at some point, this is where we are, and we need to learn how to plant gardens and to grow something that will actually nourish and encourage and inspire and shelter people. This is where we are. Let's do something beautiful with it and good. And then we need those other voices to say, look at this marvelous garden we've grown and these delicious fruit trees that we're sharing and delighting in, but we've been laying in the hammock now for a week. And there are people suffering outside the gate. Just gardens or justice? False choice. Because the wise ones know how to choose both by knowing how and when to choose each. My time's up.
Amen. You may be seated. Friends, there's so much happening in the life of this congregation. I was reminded at 8.30 that we had to reduce the font of the announcements. So this is serious. I do uh, implore you to take a look at your bulletins every week, to read the weekly news that most of you get and some of you may delete before you read, Uh, and to check out the website from time to time. Follow us on social media so that you can plug in more deeply. I will highlight just a few. Some of you are here today in your beach attire. You can do that any week for all I care. But a number of us after the service will head out to Stinson Beach just for a time of fellowship and fun. Uh, it will take me a little bit longer to get there because I need to wrap some things up. But, you know, don't wait for us. Go ahead and go there. Our plan Uh, God help us on parking, is that you kind of go through the main entrance to the public beach there and then just turn right. Go north a little ways until you find some people that uh, look to be having a ridiculous amount of fun. Uh, Pass them and then find our people. (laughs) I want to highlight another event that looks to be really inspiring and a time that needs inspiring news. Um, It's called the Oasis of Peace. There's more about it in your bulletin, but... On Wednesday, October 23rd at 1 o'clock, we will be privileged to host um, some folks who represent uh, a community where Israelis and Palestinians are living together peacefully um, as sort of a sign and and testament of what is possible. So I hope you can make it here. I know it's a weekday. I know it's during the day, but it should be something worth seeing. If you are someone who's been coming for a little while and is feeling deeply called to be a a part of this congregation in an official way, or maybe you've been coming for a long time and are just simply ready to take that step, we'd love to have you be a part of the next new member class. There's also information about that in the bulletin, but what that means is you would meet with either Bethany uh, or me uh, privately for just an informal conversation so we could get to know you a little bit better and answer any questions you have, and any questions are okay. And then we'll have a meal together with others who will be joining at the same time, and we'll tell you a little bit more formally about the church and how you can get connected. So please just see me, see Bethany, to let us know that you are interested in that. Finally, you may have noticed we try to keep the worship space devoted solely for worship. That's important to us. But in a couple weeks' time, this will be our only building for several months. And so we've moved the Forward and Faith bulletin board in here so that week to week you can stay up to date on what's happening. This will also be existing virtually, already is, on our website. You'll be getting a congregational letter. I don't think that's you've gotten that yet, which lists some important things to know, but you might check on that from week to week because it is happening. Uh, just uh, one final piece on that. Uh, at the end of this month, The office moves over to Redwoods Presbyterian in Larkspur, and that's where our administrative center will be during the uh, renovation. Programs will continue here in the preschool building and in the temporary trailer. Feel free to ask if you have any questions about that. That's a lot, I know. Thank you for your patience. So let us rise in body or spirit for our closing hymn.
Friends, that knowledge is what allows us to keep on until it is here, until Jesus has come in all Christ's fullness, and it gives us the courage to hasten the day. So may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and every day. Amen.